Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited about our founder today. I mean, we're going to be talking about going from corporate to startups, hyper growth companies, uh, and now, you know, launching, you know, his own companies and also, you know, being chairman of others. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Imran Khan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So originally born in Bangladesh. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? Uh, it was wonderful. I had a wonderful parents. So, you know, I think that's very, very important. The parents were loving. Uh, I grew up, you know, in a small town in Bangladesh. And uh, my mom was very young when she had me. And, uh, you know, my dad was working for government. And then ultimately we moved, moved the capital, went to public school in Bangladesh. I uh, went to high school there, uh, had a lot of great friends, and then I moved here uh, for college. And I assume that you were playing a little bit of cricket. I did play cricket. I was better at cricket than soccer. That's incredible. Good stuff. I know that cricket is a really big deal there. Now, you did high school there, but eventually you came to college, you know, in the U.S. So what was, you know, what, what was that triggering event that, you know, brought you here to the U.S.? So my dad is, you know, uh, had a lot of exposure to international uh, businesses. He was in shipping business, uh, worked for Bangladesh government at that time. And uh, and he always encouraged me to you know, expand my horizon and do different things, you know, and learn new things. And uh, I thought it was, you know, he and my family encouraged me and I thought it would be interesting to go to a different country, learn different culture and learn, you know, you know new things. And that really led me to come here for college. So how was coming to the U.S.? How was that, uh, you know, shock of all of a sudden you come here, the land of opportunity? You know, how was that? Yeah, I've never been to the U.S. before I came to college. I know I found my college. Literally, I, I told the story to Jerry Young when I first met him. Uh, I went to an Internet cafe and uh, searched for schools in the U.S. and went to the Yahoo uh, U.S. News. But the search engine that I used was Yahoo. And my first you know, one of my first exposure was AOL Instant Messenger, and uh, uh, and I met UC Verdi, and I told him that story also, and 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 Yahoo. So, uh, uh, you know, I think you know, class-wise, school was very easy, uh, but cultural shock was, you know, there's a lot of nuances I had to run, learn, you know, right? You know, like in Bangladesh, for example, we do like doing a lot of jaywalking here. You, you know, in Denver, if you try to do jaywalk, you're gonna get killed. You know, one of the most interesting cultural nuances is that in Bangladesh, you know, there's not really a personal space. People close talk very close to each other, you know, but in the U.S., you have a personal space, you know. So uh, so a lot of the interesting things. Uh, so I think the first year was learning about it. I had a great roommate, Neil Clegg. Uh, he was his family was very, very, very uh, welcoming. Uh, but uh, but in general, I, th I thought Den uh, Denver was a great place and, and, and people were super welcoming and, and school was easy, uh, not that difficult. Uh, so after year one, year year two, it was great. So for you, you took finance, then you ended up uh, joining Wall Street as a result of uh, having a friend that you know entered the the segment, the industry, and you know you you ended up scaling through the ranks, you know through investment banking, then research, and then you end up becoming a pretty big wig, you know in in J P Morgan. 
So what were you doing at JP Morgan and, and, and what kind of things did you learn, you know, from, you know, being a, a senior executive at a, at a large, large bank like uh, JP Morgan? So a few things. I was incredibly lucky, you know, right now, you know, um, I, you know, I picked up the coverage of internet stocks in 2002 at the bottom of the market, you know, and, you know, what 2001 did, you know, it discredited so many analysts, you know, because they were paid by banking and, 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 and really pumping the stocks without highlighting any risk with these companies. Uh, it really opened up the opportunity for new generation analysts like me to come in and build credibility, you know, and, and I, picked up as a senior analyst covering internet because there was really nobody there at the age of 25. And by age 26, I was one of the top ranked one or two ranked analysts, number one or number two ranked analysts, depending on which survey you look at in the in Wall Street. So, and internet was coming back really fast. You know, 2004, Google went public uh, and uh, Amazon stock came back from dead, you know, became a runway success. And really, you know, I was recommending all these stocks, and uh, and so my star rose very quickly. And you know, in, I became one of the youngest managing director at J.P. Morgan at age twenty-seven. I think wow. the biggest thing I learned that not related to internet, but more related to risk management. You know, I think that fundamentally, I think you know, going through the financial crisis while staying at J.P. Morgan, um, I still remember when I became a, a managing director, and it was a big deal. Like only two and a half, three percent of the J.P. Morgan. Uh, banking team was MD, and uh, we spent some time that incoming class spending some time with Jamie Diamond. And one of the things he said, still remember, that it takes years to build trust and credibility, but you can destroy it in a minute. Oh yeah. And uh, and, and 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 during the financial crisis, we saw that you know banks like Bear Stearns and Lehman, you know, they had built a franchise for hundred years, but was destroyed overnight because they lost the trust and the credibility. The entire Wall Street is built on trust. Entire financial system in the United States built on trust, right? When you buy a stock, you don't get the you know, security. You know? You, when, you, when you transact, you never see the money. It's all happening you know, uh, uh, in digitally, and it's even becoming more and more digital. So the entire financial system is built on trust. And look, in going into this crypto industry, what's going on, it's actually very important. And, 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 and I think what we learned, my biggest learning lesson from uh, J.P. Morgan days, that no matter who, who you are, if you fail to build trust with your investors, with your customers, with your partners, your business can be destroyed overnight. So don't take shortcut, build trust. It's better to take the near-term loss, but build trust because the entire financial system in America uh, is built on trust. So in your case, I mean, you were doing pretty well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you became an MD, you know, one of the youngest guys there to be an MD at JP Morgan, you know, probably doing very well, you know, incredible salary going on too. Why do you decide to jump ship and go to Credit Suisse? First of all, you know, it's a funny story. In 2010, you know, I was having uh, drinks with Joe Chai, who is the co-founder of Alibaba. At that time, he was a CFO. Now he's the vice chairman of Alibaba and also owned Brooklyn Nets. Uh, really wonderful human being, uh, and uh, and I was telling him that hey, I, you know, I'm kind of bored being a research analyst, and I'm thinking should I move to Asia because there's so much growth there, and you know he said, listen, I really like how you think. Maybe you should think about going to investment banking. Would you consider that? I was like, 
Sure, I didn't think much about it. 48 hours later, I still remember my son was born in 2010 and I, I was just hanging out with him. And I got a phone call from Joe and said, hey, I talked to a few banks and they would really love to talk to you. Is it okay if I give them your phone number? I said, sure. And and then that really led to me joining the investment banking. One, I was bored and I really valued and even today, I really respect what Joe's advice is uh, on many things in life. And he's a great mentor of mine. And uh, and that's really led to, you know, join Credit Suisse to do uh, internet banking. Uh, you know, I learned so much by being a banker and, and that opened up what I'm doing now. So so it was a great opportunity. And in this case, I mean, you were you were for close to four years. I mean, you grew the operation at Credit Suisse really nicely. But then all of a sudden, one day, you receive a phone call from Evan Spiegel, the co-founder of Snapchat, you know, Snap. And uh, that kind of like uh, unfolded a shift in gears, you know, for you in your professional career. So. Give us an insider view of what happened that day when you received that call and the events that unfolded from there. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because banking was great. You know, during that time, we grew Credit Suisse revenue from 12 million. You know, the year I left in 2014, we did $250 million. We were the number one franchise in the internet in Wall Street in 2014. So I, you know, I was not really thinking about leaving financial institutions. I loved New York, loved living in New York. And so once I got that invitation to go meet Evan, and I was familiar with Snapchat, but I was not using the product. You know, uh, I was in 2010, I was 32 years old. I, and at that time, you know, sorry, 2014, I was like, uh, even lower, I'm 37 at that time. Uh, Snap was, you know, really used by college students because Snap was student founded in 2012, you know. And so so I, I was familiar with Snap, but I was not super, I was not a user. Uh, and uh, so I went to, I remember that I went to all the first year analysts at Ferry Swiss, you know, the bullpen and said, hey, do you guys use Snap? Who use Snap? And literally 100% of the people raised their hand that they use Snap. I was like, wait a second, 100% of the entire Ferry Swiss first year analyst class use the product. There's got to be something on it. So I called them, a bunch of them in my office and said, okay, let me show me how to use the product. And at that time, it was just a messaging app. They didn't have Discover. They didn't have anything. You know, just, you just sent text and pictures. You know, they didn't have a group chat, nothing, just one-to-one -one -one chat. And so I, so when I started playing with that, you know, I was very familiar with Tencent, you know, uh, uh, and I was like, wow, if that messaging app can be built on top of it, you know, all the features and services, the business could be really, really interesting. And so I went to see Evan. And uh, we went for a long walk. And, uh, you know, one of the most incredible uh, benefit and, and privilege of, you know, covering Internet, you know, in 2000s was that I get to meet so many incredible people who are iconic figure. But at that time, they were very young. Right. You know, uh, right. In like a lot of these companies, that's really, really big. You know, they were not that big at that time. You know, many of them were like a few billion dollar market cap here and there, you know. Uh, and so I met a lot of really, really smart people, you know, and uh, and I was blown away by Evan's intellect, his vision, his thinking. And uh, I remember after the meeting, I got on a car and called my wife and said, listen, I think he will offer me a job. And if he does, I will take it. 
and we'll probably have to move to LA. And uh, and so so really, you know, the product was incredible. Evan's vision was incredible, and he's it's truly a special special human being. And that really led me join Snap. So tell tell us about joining Snapchat because I mean, obviously, what a career shift. You know, you go from big institutions, from the stable, you know, uh, nine to fives. Obviously, you know, like with their deal of stress and, and ups and downs and all that stuff. But now you're in a hyper growth company, you know, incredible amount of pressure because also you were tasked with, uh, you know, figuring out the whole advertising side of things. So how was how was that transition for you? And then how did you guys go about building the the ad, you know, uh, side of things on the revenue side? So, you know, I make this is my fourth career change, right? From investment bank is research to investment banking to credit Suisse now being a founder. First year is always tough, right? It is probably the hardest thing you do. First year, as I said, first year in college was very, very hard, you know, when you come from Bangladesh to the US. And so first year was tough, clearly, because I had to un- I had to develop new kind of muscles to be effective in the business. Uh but I think, you know, one of the greatest things about Snap was, you know, we recruited some incredible talent, really, really great talent, you know. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I think uh, that really made my life easier because I worked with some of the smartest people I've ever met at Snapchat. And, uh, and it was very inspiring, you know, because they were building great product. It's an, it was an incredible, innovative product. So, uh, so work felt, you know, exciting because you were doing something fun. In terms of building ad business, uh, I think, you know, I never, you know, I knew ad business well because as a research analyst, but I never ran as an ad business, you know, from a uh, operating side. I think, you know, so we learned from our mistakes, you know, um, but I think one of the biggest thing was, you know, at first we really focused on that. How can we attract the brand advertisers? Because we had a lot on, you know, young audience and, you know, and say, you know, how can we get this young audience, you know, People who want to reach that young audience, you know, how can we attract them? Really focusing on the brand advertising. Uh, that part was relatively easy, you know. And then we try to transition. Uh, we we transition to direct response ad business. How can we build more direct response and 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 and, and bring more uh, small businesses come to our platform? Uh, you know, um, you know. I think in 2015 and 2016, you know, we probably generated most of our revenue from top 500 advertisers. But how can we take 20, 30, 40,000 advertisers, how do we diversify it? That required a lot of technology investment. And, uh, and you know, again, I think one of the greatest things at Snap was we were able to attract great talent. And I had an incredible team, you know, guys like Nima, who runs VP of engineering now at Snap, Peter Sellis, who is the SVP of product at Discord, Per uh, Sandal, who's a VP of uh, product at Spotify now. All these guys did, have done an incredible job building the product and with an awesome team. And, and you know, um, it was not a smooth ride, right? It never was a smooth ride, but ups and downs. But we figured it out and we were able to grow the ad business from zero in January 2015. You know, we were raising money and investors were giving us hard time because we had only zero revenue in 2015. Uh, by the end of Q4 of 2018, we we're doing $1.6 billion annualized revenue. So, 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 but, you know, all credit goes to Evan's vision, you know, of building an incredible product and the amazing team that we're able to attract. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that 
you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So obviously, you know, the company goes public, uh, tremendous success, you know, also for you being part of that experience. You know, it sounds like a wild, you know, uh, journey, a wild experience. You know, you were always looking at it from the outside, you know, more from your, you know, a comfortable seat, you know, at a big bank, you know, now you were actually, you know, in the weeds of it, you were part of the execution, part of the being in the battlefield. So at what point do you realize, hey, you know what, I think I can actually start something on my own. And uh, what was that moment where you realize it's time to, to go at it and take action? I think the big thing is I always like to torture myself uh, and take on really, really new challenges, you know. Um, and, you know, at the end of 18, you know, I was running hard for a very long period of time. You know, the four years I was in banking was very, very, you know, do, like I went to China for one day. I went to Hong Kong for a day. Like I would fly in in the morning and fly back at night. And it, it and, and, and when at Snap, I opened, you know, uh, offices in like 17 countries, you know, and, and hiring people, you know, uh, recruiting is one area that I really, really focused on because we always knew, uh, Evan and I always knew that our team is as strong as our team, uh, our company is as strong as our team. And, uh, so, so I was really tired and, uh, one, I needed a break. And second, you know, I feel like I needed to develop new kind of skill set, you know, uh, you know, be, being at Snap is, you know, by the time I showed up, you know, the company had around 50 to 75 people, something like that. But, you know, we had 70 million users. You know, the company had incredible product market fit. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, well, it, once you have a 70 million users, you know, and it's growing, it's not easy. But, you know, I think I always like to think if you have a great product, monetization, you can build, you know. Uh, and so, so I appreciate people give me a lot of credit for it, but, but I also think that real credit lies with people who build it from zero. Uh, and so I wanted to try something, you know, try building a bunch of things from zero. And, uh, and so that really led to, you know, start taking on this new challenge. So let's talk about the new challenge. You know, how did that uh, incubate and how did you bring it to life? 
Yeah, I think the biggest trend I saw when I was at Snapchat and, and living in LA is this creators economy. You know, uh, all these uh, creators were creating amazing, incredible content and disrupting the content industry. You know, and the second tr- leg of that trend I saw was that a lot of these small businesses were creating. They're building incredible product with a great product vision. You know. And and they're, they're really trying to build a brand, you know. And uh, and and at the end of the day, what is a brand? A brand is a promise. And yep. did we lose connection to server? Oh, okay. So uh, at the end of the day, a brand is a promise. And uh, and and there are these great individuals who are building great product with great promises. And 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 my thesis was that we're going to see explosive growth of these brand creators. And what I realized that. The world needs a platform that supports this brand community, you know, and that really led the creation of Bearshop Group. You know, what Bearshop Group is is really a community for independent brand creators, and we support this brand's community three ways. Number one, we help them sell more product through our owned and operated site like Bearshop.com. Uh, second, we help them on marketing solution. You know, uh, we created a premium media ad network for these independent brands because if you're a small business you only can advertise on facebook right uh, or maybe google uh, so what we did is we brought in ad inventory from connected tv uh, by partnering with the media company or partnering with a lot of the written publications and bringing premium media placement opportunities and helping these independent brands get opportunity to tell their story beyond the social platforms, you know, because that's getting really crowded with Apple ATT issue. It's getting really, really challenging. So, and the other thing is what we found that, you know, if you just spend money on any one channel, 100%, your ROI is lower. If you diversify and, and tell the story, a social or performance marketing channel does better. And so that's really, really creation of our premium media ad network. And then the third thing we saw, all these independent brands, they're really struggling with on the cost side because they don't have enough scale everything they do is cost them more money. And as a result, they are in a difficult spot compared to their larger competitors. So what Verishop Group as a community, we're like a union, right? We go to all the vendors that our businesses use and negotiate a lower rate uh, for our margin. So you can get packaging at a 30% cheaper rate. You get shipping at a 40% cheaper rate. We get all these software companies at a 25% cheaper rate. So when you join Bearshop Brand Committee, not only you can sell more to our owned and operated site or tell your story to a broader uh, broader network through your uh, through our media network, but also you can access a lot of services at a significantly cheaper rate and save a lot of money so that you can reinvest in your business to grow your business. And so that's really Bearshop is. Our mission is to help these independent and emerging brands thrive create a lot of jobs and that's that's what we're really focusing on. How do you guys capitalize here? here? How, how do you guys make money? So we make money uh, two ways. Number one is through uh, when brands sell through our platform, we take a percentage, you know, so it's a no risk. You know, you can't, you only pay us a fee if there's a transaction happens and second through our uh, advertising solution. So, uh, so you can, you know, use our marketing solution to tell your story beyond Facebook and other social network, you know, world government platform to grow your brand, to acquire more customers. You know, like we have this partnership with NBC. NBC reaches over 100 million people in the United States. You know, so now you can tell your story through this through these partnerships, you know, in connected TV and other areas. And 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 what our brands found 
by advertising to our media network, their overall ROI improves because you know they're diversifying their channel. The mix gets better, and 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 the storytelling gets better. Um, so so those are the two ways we make money. And how much capital have you guys raised for this company, Imran? Uh, around 140 million. 140 million. And how have you gone? Because obviously with uh, Snapchat, you know, you were able to really understand, you know, like the relationship with investors, you know, how that works, you know, the dynamics with the early backers. So what were some of the lessons that you learned, you know, when it came to fundraising and to investor, you know, communication and relationships that you knew you wanted to apply to a very shop and, and, and how and why did you go about bringing on board the investors that you did? Yeah. And, and listen, I raised like, over like 1.8 billion pre-IPO and two and a half billion at the IPO, so over four billion dollar at Snap also. Uh, and uh, you know, I played. You know, I worked with the team. Obviously, it's not a, myself, but a broader team worked on it. Uh, and so I have some experience there as well. Uh, I think you know the big thing here is a few things learning, right? So again, I want to go back. You know. The first lesson I learned, trust, right? When investors give you money, they give you their trust. So you really have to deliver on the trust. And so that's the single most important thing. So I think you have to be careful what you communicate and how much you can deliver. Because if you break trust very early on, it will get difficult to raise money down the road, right? So that's number one. Uh, don't overpromise. you know, promise things that you can deliver and be very objective and very transparent about your business. You know? Uh, by doing so, you know not only it will help you build a credibility and earn, raise money in the, down the road, but it will also make your relationship with your investors better, right? Because if you overhype or investors overhype, you know you get into a relationship with a lot of expectation. If you open up the book and get into a relationship in a very transparent, transparent fashion, and and consistently be, you know, uh, be objective about your business. How, what's doing well and what's not doing well. I think investors will give you also a lot of leeway. You know, your relationship with your board is going to be really, really good. I think that's really, really helpful. Uh, and then the third thing is, you know, I think what's most important thing is, you know, when you negotiate the funding, if you don't understand a terms or if it's too complicated, you know, take a pause, you know. Uh, and then I would, you know, uh, and I really bought into this Evans philosophy that if somebody tells you that something's standard, don't take, you know, standard is never sign up something because quote unquote, it's standard. You know, it's standard till it's not, right? So so really understand these things, you know, and uh, and, and and be mindful of. And then the last thing is don't over-focus on optimizing valuation, but focus on terms. Right, because I can make up the valuation. I can tell your business is worth a billion dollar by putting four x preference, liquidation preference, or or adding coupons and things like that. You know, I think you're better off having a lower valuation but a simple cap structure that will serve you better down the road. So imagine you were to go to sleep tonight, Imran, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Very Shop is fully realized. What does that world look like? The Vision of Varsha fully realized is that you know Alejandro wants to start a business can come to Varsha and Varsha solves all you know Varsha can brings your vision to the life from supply chain to uh, customer acquisition to telling your story 
to your packaging, everything you want to do, Barshop is your one-stop shop. So I guess that here we're looking at the future, but let's look at the past with, um, you know, lens of refraction. If you, if you were to go to um, back in time, let's say to a time machine and you're able to go back in time, you know, maybe to a point where Imran is, is, you know, a little bit younger and you're able to tell your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, listen, I think, you know, one of the most interesting thing is that uh, I have a lot of experience, but, you know, when it comes about building a company, as a, I'm a first-time founder, you know. So I think in many ways, uh, I know a lot of things about the world, uh, but uh, I, I'm by no means, I'm an expert, quote-unquote, founder, you know, and it's, it's a new journey. So I learned a lot in the last four years, and it was a very humbling experience. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned as a, in terms of while we're in the topic of fundraising is don't raise too much money. You know, one thing that I regret that I raised too much money, I raised $140 million. You know, I had a lot of credibility and people gave me money and I took the money, you know. And if I have to rewind back five years ago, I would not do that. And, uh, and the reason behind it, I think constraint drive innovation. primarily. And it's true for every level. Having a lot of people doesn't solve your problem, you know, and because that means you have more people, means more HR, more more meetings, more internal, you know, politics, you know. And uh, so I think, you know, building a business, you know, uh, with constraint is, is to really drive innovation and drive productivity. And... Uh, so I think looking back, one of the biggest mistakes I made is uh, raise a lot of money. As a result, we try to do a lot of things. And, you know, I wish I just focus on three or four things and, you know, and just not raise that kind of capital. And so that's one thing, you know, I think when you're building a business, you know, I think your biggest strength is your constraint and your nimbleness. So when you raise a lot of money, that change goes away. And I hear you on that. Now you're also the chairman of the Aleph Group. I mean, yep. what is the uh, what 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 does you know an effective chairman you know that role look like? And also, what are you guys doing at the Aleph Group? So Aleph is a fascinating company. It's founded by a gentleman named Gaston Caratuta. He's an Argentinian guy. Uh, started the company with five thousand dollars in his pocket, and in two thousand and five. And really, what they do is they represent Facebook, Google, Snapchat. Pinterest in the emerging market. So in Nigeria, if you're buying ad from uh, Facebook, they are the Facebook exclusive partner. Or if you're in Bangladesh, you're buying ad from Google, you're partnering with them. You know, and uh, the job as a chairman, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really a governance guy. You know, I'm the chairman of the board. You know, I'm not day-to-day operations. So my job is really, you know, help advice. You know, give you know my experience as an you know as a senior exec of a large organization. You know. Aleph has become a pretty big business over the last, you know, uh, you know, last ten years, and uh, so really, you know, advise the founder, you know, how to, you know, be his thought partner. Got it. Now, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, you can email me, Imran at Verishop, V-E-R-I-S-H-O-B. Imran is I-M-R-A-N, Imran at Bearshop.com. Amazing. Well, hey, Imran, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. 
thank you for having me. It was it was an honor to be on your show. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.